Zelerinque con langeri feni, pode castata salasarare lanera tessera motasseri denu. Welcome to Con Langer, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me over in Maine right now is Mike Lentin. Hello. And uh, returning to the show, we have down, well, down University Avenue a ways and then up, up another road, we have <laughs> William Ennis. As foretold by prophecy. Hooray! Welcome back! Yay! Throws confetti. It's a little, it's a little complicated uh, describing the the way to your house from my house, but I'm not going to go into too much detail because that might be a bad idea on the internet. No. Yeah. <laughs> Words of wisdom if I've ever heard them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh. So how how was your um. Your break from Conlangery, William. It was good. I played banjo. I grew a beard. Yes. I, I refinanced uh, I, my house. It's, you know, many things were accomplished. I, I, I was going to, uh, mention with a beard, you look a little bit less like, uh, Varys the spider. So. Thank you. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> to know that my, uh, that my, my adrenal glands are intact and are able to produce <laughs> facial hair. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I hope you guys had good Thanksgivings. Oh yes, it was delicious. It was. It was good. Mm-hmm. All right. And I hope listeners who are in the U.S. had good Thanksgivings. Um. So why don't we just kind of jump right into our topic today? Uh, we have a fairly big topic here, but it's um. It's this is a topic that I think a lot of conlangers kind of uh ignore mainly because a lot of conlangers hate articles. Mm-hmm. And kind of the sort of superficial note of this is uh the 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 superficial way of marking this is having articles. So we're um going to match what our topic is, of course, is definiteness. Definiteness. And, uh, of course, uh, Mike is <laughs> mentioning here on the notes right now that you don't need to avoid definiteness when, when you're avoiding art articles anyway. But, um, this is, this is the, this is just something that's tied into it. But, uh, so William, you came up with this topic and you wrote most of the notes down. What exactly is definiteness? Um, or... I actually think uh, I think Matt came up, or, or he, one of our listeners, suggested the, the topic. Um, mm. Definiteness, um, like many conlangers, especially I'm guessing English speaking conlangers, I tended for a long time to avoid definiteness marking because I had no idea what it meant. Um, mm. I, I started conlanging as a teenager, and there was no one to tell me that words sometimes did not have denotational meaning, that they did not sometimes refer to the things in the world. So if if your theory of language is a little naive and you think all words must refer to the things in the world or concepts about the world, then trying to figure out what on earth the means can be quite confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but definiteness, and for English, for that we normally mean the definite article, means... That it's a signal to your listener that you expect them to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that means, that means the definite article signals known information. Yes. Yeah. And, um, uh, an important point there is that it can be one of two things. It can be something that's known because it was previously introduced in the discourse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or it can be something that's pragmatically known, either like um, you are in a room that has a door and you talk about the door or or just it's something that's in the general zeitgeist of the uh, zeitgeist of the culture that you expect people to know who 
the president is or what things like the that. internet is um my favorite example is the sentence i went to see a movie the line was long yeah i've not mm-hmm. talked about lines before but that's simply part of the movie going experience a lot of the time so it's recoverable or inferable sometimes it's said um from the topic um and things can actually be physically present as well Right. If you walk into a coffee shop and you see a friend and you go talk to them and they put down a book and you talk about Turkey and Thanksgiving and then you finally ask them, how's the book? Mm -hmm. You know that you're talking about that physical object that was just set on the table, right? Because it's there present in some way. Um, Mm -hmm. now it's important to note that we're talking so far about how English and I'm guessing most European languages mark definiteness. There are some languages where the definite article, or however definiteness is marked, is only used for things that have been introduced into the discourse. That it cannot be used on inferable or merely Mm -hmm. physically present things. They have to be introduced into the the conversation. Okay, so that's that's an interesting thing. Is there ever, like, a case where you have, like, a, um, like, three distinctions of things that are in the discourse versus things that are uh, inferable versus things that are unknown, or is it, is it? Um, honestly, I don't know all of the possibilities. In my reading of interesting things about languages across the years, I've seen all sorts of funky variations on this sort of thing. Um, I think it's squamish articles indicate that something is definite and known to the speaker, mm-hmm. which is seems pragmatically weird to me <laughs> it's kind of the the is it humpty dumpty i know what i'm talking about when i use the word it's, it's a little bit funny um so it wouldn't surprise me if there are more subtle distinctions being made it, there's a question of, of how much you need um to code that when or so we're going to talk about lots of languages have no overt definiteness marking but still uh, how should I say? They don't have an article or a morpheme, but they still have ways to mark definiteness versus indefiniteness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like you are at some t- terrible, desperate loss if you don't make all of these distinctions. We have other ways of doing it. Yeah. And I mean, one thing is that we're talking about even if you have a language that only allows the definite um or something that's been specifically introduced um, in the discourse, it's probably pretty trivial to just introduce things and just say, oh, instead of saying the lake, you can say, oh, you know, that lake over there, and then thereby you introduce it, and then you can refer back to it later. Sure, right. I mean, that's how you make something definite in discourse. You just introduce it into the conversation. Well, mm-hmm. now, now yeah, it's definite. Yes. <laughs> Ta-da. A very simple procedure. No doctors are required. No licensing. It's just there. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about how you how you mark the definite, um, how it's how it's encoded. Obviously, we've mentioned you can have just a definite article, which um, in English that's a, a a free morpheme or a a separate word uh, that is. You know, in front of the noun. Right. And it might but, be indeclinable or declinable if you have a language that has case marking. Um, yes. Uh, surprisingly, you see both, which always surprised me that you have highly inflecting languages sometimes that have uninflected articles. Uh-huh. But in, uh, on the other side, you have, like, isn't it true, like, in German... Case marking only occurs on the article, the definite article? Uh, no, their case marking system is heavily reduced. Um, okay, compared so. to, say, Proto-Germanic, but no, they still have um, case marking. Um, they also, very confusingly, in several of the Germanic and Slavic languages, have... So if you have a noun phrase with a noun and an adjective, mm-hmm. your adjective agreement is different if the noun is definite or indefinite. Oh, wow. Really? Which, okay. is, which is a great nuisance for those of us who've had to learn German. We have to learn separate declensional systems for adjectives. Wow. And Old English okay. does this too, which is vexing. Um... But you don't need just an article. Uh, you can have, it can be an affix. Um, sure, like uh, Hebrew has, um, ha, which 
uh, induces various sound changes in following constants, depending on what they are. And there's gemination and other sorts of fun. Um, mm-hmm. Arabic al, which then does all sorts of fun assimilation things. Mm-hmm. So like it's al kindi, but um, ar rahman, you know, the, the yeah, that's, assimilates. that's almost a secondary thing. It seems like. I guess this is probably true of a lot of different function words, but it seems like articles tend to have this odd relationship, this odd sort of tendency to get reduced or have special phonological rules. In English, you have the indefinite article can have an N on the end of it or not, depending on whether the following word begins with a consonant or a vowel. Right, right. Um, But that's... That's almost just a, a, a whole different topic entirely. Um, you can have an affix that disappears entirely mm-hmm. um, and leaves only trace. I found one Bantu language that has a definite article that presents itself only in a tone change in the noun. Hmm. That's, At the end of the word. That is quite uh, amazing. And this is normal. Definite articles are kind of labile. They're subject to all sorts of indignities, and they disappear and get recreated fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. In the grand scheme of things. Um, right. Um, so, FX, you could have no overt morpheme at all, but word order trickery might be played. And we can talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about this. Russian is one of these examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget. Mm-hmm. Do definite things... Uh, I'm guessing new information is introduced early. In a clause, that seems normal. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there and guess and then guess. Yeah, Mike, is that is that right? Um, I I never really uh, in in our Russian classes. I don't really remember us talking about definiteness. It wasn't really a linguistic based course. It was more of a a course of where you know they just taught us okay. how to really explain it. They didn't say, well, the definite article is, is done this way, and they didn't really do a very mechanical breakdown of it. It was more of a yeah, yeah. right. But we but I guess. We've mentioned before that Russian handles definiteness with word order. It doesn't have any articles at all. Correct. Right. right. Doesn't have any. Um, um, and this is related to um, topicality and topic prominent languages. Mm-hmm. In general, expect topics to be definite. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what a topic comment structure does, that sort of makes sense. You need to introduce something before you can talk about it. And once it's been introduced, voila. It is definite. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Persian is a good example of another system. So it has an overt direct object marker that is only used for definite nouns and not mm-hmm. definite nouns. And this appears to be a sort of broader pattern in languages with optional direct object marking. Um, they are either sensitive to definiteness or animacy, although not everyone agrees with that, but those are two common patterns. That's interesting. Yeah. I can see, I can definitely see the, how it works for animacy because it's sort of, uh, uh marking the unexpected thing. Exactly. You expect more animate, exactly. uh, nouns to be subjects or agents. Right. Um, I just, um, I just looked up the Russian grammar on Wikipedia and I found the, the art, the indefinite, indefinite article, uh, blurb in there. They say that, um, they do mention that the uh, word order can affect it. So if you say, Malchik uh, Bijal Vkomnatu, uh, the boy rushed into the room versus Vkomnatu Bijal Malchik, having the Malchik at the end means a boy rushed into the room. But they also said that, um, for negation, you might have a different, uh, case. Just so the, the versus a. Oh, so, um, okay. there are a few different things. There. Um, and just, just to be clear, my understand, well, are we to understand, like, in the first one with the boy, it's the boy ends up before, um, well, before room, and then in the second one, the, it's room first and then boy? Yeah, if you look at it, uh, I posted the link there. It's actually, um, under this section called, titled nouns. Um, there's a list of four points there. Um, and it shows on example number two. No, I'm sorry, example number three. Um, it says, so literally in room accusative, um, ran into, and then a boy, it's saying a boy rushed into the room. Whereas if you put, oh, okay. if you put boy at the beginning, then it 
Then you have Malchika's boy, Vigel is run into, and then Komnatu is uh, basically showing movement into the room. So, oh, okay. So I was wrong. Somebody needs, to, uh, somebody needs to add glosses to this. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then uh, num- uh, point number one is with the the negation I mentioned, and then point number four mentions with plurals. So okay, so there's there's a few different uh, strategies. Um, I think um, one thing uh, one thing I want to to bring up, and William, you had some notes on this, um, is sort of historical. Um, historically, there are sort of different sources for for articles if you're going with articles all generally indefinite articles come from the numeral one right yes or some sort of funky reduced existential construction as chinese can use for example yes um in fact i I was going to mention chinese um chinese has ways of marking indefinites um you can either use like um one just say one and then measure word or just the measure word sometimes so that's the that gives you the meaning of one x you know e jiggle jiggle a dog or you have this um i think this usually happens with indefinite subjects is you use yo which yo it's to have, but it also is the existential, uh, verb. There is. Um, there is, there are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you, you say, uh, yoren something. I don't know. I don't know. Give me a, a sentence with a, a, an unidentified person. Uh, a man, a man walked into a bar, uh, yoren zojin, uh, jiuba. So that's, so, but there's no way to mark definite. Yeah. Well, Right. Not in the sense that there is an English, but if you make something a topic, then it is likely to be definite. Yeah, if you make if you make something a topic, it's probably going to be definite, yes. Although you, um, you make a really important point, or sort of sideways, you did make the point, but you r- reminded me that there's a difference between indefiniteness in the grammatical sense that we're talking about here and indefiniteness in the sense of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in... If I start a story and I say, uh, yesterday I was walking to the bus stop and I saw a guy and he was wearing a pink tutu. All right. Mm-hmm. That guy is specific. He's indefinite mm-hmm. when I introduce him because he's new and I need to let my listeners know that he is going to, <laughs> that he's a new part of this conversation, but he's known. Right. That is different from saying, you know, like the laws of Hammurabi, if a man kills his neighbor's goat, then he shall be penalized, you know, some number. Yeah. That is a non-specific indefinite. And some languages yeah. are very sensitive to this distinction. I didn't, yeah. I didn't do much research on that. So people might want to dig because some interesting, um, phenomena linguistically can happen around that distinction as well. Yeah. Some, uh, some people will talk about, um, sort of two axes of definiteness and specificity. Ah. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, um, that, that's a good illustration in your case of, uh, I saw a guy and he was wearing a tutu. That is a specific person. The listener doesn't know this person exists yet. That's why you're introducing them as indefinite, but that is a dude in the real world. Yep. Mm. But in your example, if a man, uh, kills his goat or whatever, then, then that is not a specific person. That is like, if any guy, if any man. So it's not really, it, it's, so that's a separate issue from the way, uh, definiteness works. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't confuse them when you're working on this in your language. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Different issues. Um, so for other historical stuff, definite articles are very, very, very often crunched and processed demonstrative pronouns uh, or adjectives. Yeah. Now I want to, um, it seems like the, 
It seems like the romance ones are actually derived from pronouns. Is that also a common thing? Or? Uh, well, the boundary between a pronoun, a demonstrative adjective slash pronoun, and articles are very thin. In many of the Indo-European languages, things that start off meaning this become the. Uh-huh. It happened to English. It happened to Greek. Um, and the different romance languages took... Uh, I thought they took the whole Ela family, which I would consider demonstratives, but. Oh, really? No, I would well, I don't know. Um, it may be that they were demonstratives and they became, on one hand, um, uh, definite articles and then the other hand, uh, third person personal pronouns. Right. Because, you know, in, in, in Spanish you have el and el and then la and Asia. Those are, those look related. They may not you know, be. it's been so long since I've looked at historical linguistics of the Romance languages that I'm not sure. I'm guessing those are where this is coming from. And they're definitely demonstratives, but they are also used. Um, they're one of several systems that are used where English would use personal uh, third-person pronouns. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a whole other topic of uh, where you use um, demonstratives right. and where you use it. Yeah. Um all right. What else do we have? You have you have a bunch of stupid marking tricks. Well, <laughs> just, uh, um, marking of definiteness is often related to other things that maybe you wouldn't think of necessarily. So, one mm-hmm. system of definiteness marking we've not talked about yet, and which I just love so much, is the Hungarian verb system. Oh yes. But the listener is going, but William, we're talking about noun phrases. Why are we talking about <laughs> verbs? This is because Hungarian verbs have two different conjugations. You have the indefinite conjugation, which is used with intransitive verbs, and with transitive verbs with indefinite objects. And then you have a definite system, which is used when your direct object is definite. <laughs> so it is coded on the verb system. Now, there is also in Hungarian a conjugation marker for a first-person singular subject and a second-person singular or plural object. So it looks like Hungarian had something faintly like polypersonal agreement, which was repurposed to become sort of a definite marker. Mm-hmm. So it's it's sort of uh, switched in that way. That's... That's an interesting thing to mark definiteness on the verb for the object. Yes. Um, is, so I'm, I'm seeing a strong vibe here with this example and the Persian example of for some reason direct objects may need definite marking more, more so than subject, which, which makes sense to me for the same reason that animacy does. Right. Uh, we frequently, as a, as a condition. Right. We can introduce new topics either by saying, you know, using existential constructions, there is or there was a man. You know, there was a hat. Yes. Right. Or you can make them the object of a verb. I saw a man. Right. So he's the object. Um, So it it kind of makes sense that, that that's going on. Although, yeah, I think probably theorists could spend lots of time getting excited about this. So. Yeah. All of this talk about Hungarian is leading up to a really interesting thing about what other kinds of things require you to use the definite conjugation versus the indefinite conjugation? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the definite conjugation is used if the direct object is has a definite article. Mm-hmm. Um, it is used if it uses certain determiners like which or each, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is used if there's a third-person pronoun object, stated or unstated. Mm-hmm. It's used if the noun phrase has a demonstrative pronoun. Okay. And that's really interesting because my favorite example of all time, ancient Greek, in that the definite article is always used on noun phrases if they are also being marked with a demonstrative. You never say this man, you say this the man. That is really interesting because, uh, you know, in English, those are, those exclude each other. They do exclude each other, but... We've got several, I mean, how often are you uh, ignoring a certain um, sort of informal construction we can talk about in a moment? If you use the word that on a noun uh-huh. in English, you I, I assume it's always going to be definite. Yeah, um, well, it's 
Yeah, I think so. It's one of those pragmatic definites. Usually, you know, there, there's, there's sort of informal ways to introduce things in this course by saying, so there was this guy. Right. But more standardly and normally, I think more often you are using this or that when there is something either physically that you can see, that you can indicate, you know, by pointing at it right. or gesturing toward it or looking at it or um, sort of uh what what can we say metaphorically it's within a certain distance of your mind well no right we use it to organize discourse thing multiple things to keep track of in the discourse you can talk about this and that um to distinguish them as well and that's why this and that are so often grammaticalized into various kinds of subordination instructions for the for the same reason Mm -hmm. so i mean that all makes sense but it's not necessarily things we were always thinking about Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? I think that was it. Um, those of you who have never looked at Hungarian's magnificent verb system, I recommend you do so. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I have it in my mind that possessed nouns also required the definite conjugation in Hungarian, but I'm not seeing that on the Wikipedia page, so I could be hallucinating that. But in many languages, possessed nouns also count as definite. Yeah. Now, and it doesn't even have, it doesn't necessarily have to be this, um, conjugation to, um, there are languages I know that, um, I can't think of what language it is that does this, but there's a language that it has a definite article, but the definite article co-occurs with, um, co-occurs with, um, uh, possessors. Italian does this, il, il mio, uh, il mio, I don't know. Something. Uh, thingy. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's very common. Again, many languages, um, have various instructions that involve a definite article and possession happening at the same time. Um, yeah. even, you know, like my thingy. Um, il, il, il mio, il mia cosa, yeah, something like that. The Coptic possessive prefixes are just, are historically derived from article and possessing marker that got glommed together and then crammed onto your mm-hmm. crammed onto you. now yeah. um in ancient greek uh, the definite article can mark inalienable possession so you don't typically say um i talked to my father you say i talked to the father and it's assumed to be yours um because you've just used the mm-hmm. definite article so it's just it's just like <clears throat> if i uh, if i say i talked to the father Pretty much people assume that you're talking about your own father. Right. Um, sort of confusingly on the opposite side, the definite article can be used to talk about generalizations. Mm-hmm. The bear is a cranky animal. Yeah. And you're talking well, about yeah. all bears. And- Which is another one of those things of this is a non-specific, but somehow marked as definite. Well, it's it's like talking about the sun or the moon. Everyone knows what you're uh-huh. talking about. It's this sort of um, how should we? It's 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 an abstract concept of the bear, right? But that is expected to be recoverable to everyone. So they just mean bears in general. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Definite articles are frequently hijacked for nominalizing things. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, ancient Greek, but also Lakota. Uh, so you say things, um, you turn pretty much any part of speech into a noun, which includes subclauses, so subordination marking. Quileute, um, mm-hmm. some varieties of mine do this. Ancient Greek doesn't actually do this. But you say things like, I don't like the he drinks beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, which, which, like... We would we would express in a different way. We'd say like we don't like his drinking of beer. Uh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, it sounds well, it's a weird way to say I that. I'd write that if I were. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a peculiar way to say it. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, another thing that it can be hijacked for is relativization. The man, the you want to see him, went home. Mm. Mm. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I may have to steal that idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, ancient Greek and Lakota both do this. I was not expecting to see this deep relationship between 
ancient Greek and Lakota, where there's an interesting story or a scary, scary bogo leg in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Evil laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what else was I going to say about definiteness tricks? I mean, those are the big ones. Um, mm-hmm. that it can do more. Um, what was I going to say? Now, um, there's a few things I kind of want to say, and this is really because I have limited sort of information. I only really know two languages that have sort of the overt, at least overt, like definite articles, and both of them are Indo-European. So I don't have a whole lot of info on here, but I know one thing is if you if comparing to the languages I know that have definite articles, English and Spanish, there's some cases where you just kind of have to know that certain things take a definite in one and not the other. For one thing, um, in English, abstract concepts tend not to take articles at all. Right. But in Spanish, they often take a definite article. So you talk about, in English, you say just love. You can't say the love. It's, it's weird to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, unless you're changing the meaning, the lo- like you're talking about a specific love. But in Spanish, you always say el amor. Right. So, you know, that's another thing. Um, another one I think is, I don't think either one of them has articles on mass noun, uh, on, uh, mass nouns. So I don't know if there's, Cases where you would have, other than again changing the meaning, right? Yeah, the semantics of a word can really change from language to language how it interacts with definiteness and marking in general. And that is another thing that scared the ever-leaving daylights out of me as a, a teenage conlanger and reading about things like Latin and ancient Greek was being baffled by these new sets of rules for how the article worked from language to language. Mm. Yeah. I think you can say the water. Yeah, you can say the water, but it's different from just saying water. Yeah. Uh, in in a way that's not just about definiteness. It's some some deeper semantic voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. Um, and the last big point I saw that I want to mention before we get on to some of Mike's points Um. There, some linguists suspect, but not everyone's confirmed this, that definite articles are more common in languages without case marking. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that languages without case marking have very strong feelings about word order. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have case marking, you might have a freer word order, which allows you to do other kinds of ways to signal definiteness without requiring imagine... overt morphology. Yeah. We should mention we we we're linking to a paper for this, but they like they admit even that they're using a very small sample of languages just to illustrate this. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a very preliminary sort of study, but it still has some interesting yeah, stuff in it. Yeah, it's a little uh, speculative, but um, it has some interesting um, uh, what should I say? It, some some interesting implications. Yeah. Um, another um, paper I linked to, but I'm not really going to talk about too much. Um, it's a paper on Central African linguistics. The paper is called Noun Classification, Definiteness, Number, and Possession, which, again, talks about how the relationships between semantics and definiteness can interact in funky ways. And it has a nice section showing the lexical use of class switching, which I've talked about from time to time but could never think of examples. This paper has them. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get to Mike's Javanese point, which is really interesting because yeah. I started a very heated and irritating discussion on the conlang mailing list related to that topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew I, I knew it occurred in some languages, and the first one that I found when I was looking for an example of it was Javanese. Um, and I've linked um, a paper that uh, says an invalid link, but I, it's a PDF I have here, and I can share that. But um, it talks about how the... Uh, in Javanese, there's uh, some a restriction that says an indefinite noun phrase cannot appear in the subject position. And they give the example, and I may totally botch pronunciation, but um, mm-hmm. wong, uh, wong lanang 
Gekturu, which is literally person, male, progressive sleep, meaning a boy is sleeping, is ungrammatical. Whereas if you make it the boy is sleeping, so Wong, Wong, hang on, there it is. Wong Lanangui Gekturu, the boy is sleeping, it's grammatical. And I've heard that before where in some languages, um, you know, your subject must be a definite uh, noun phrase or it must, there are certain restrictions on ones. Um, there's right. also an example C. Uh, that shows there is a boy who is sleeping is it is grammatical. So if you say there exists a, per, a male person who sleeps, so uh, oh it's a it's a a pro a small pro, but ono wang ono wang la nan gekturu. So there exists a, there is a boy who is sleeping. That's how you'd have to say that okay. indefinite. In, indefinite. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's similar to what happens in Chinese, where you put an existential construction as a subject. Um. Um. Th- Right. So this, I made a statement that, you know, linguists have, many linguists have studied and recognize it as a genuine phenomenon, but for some reason, a bunch of people on the conlang mailing list just, yeah. Anyway, um, it turns out that in the course of a normal, unscripted conversation, we almost never have indefinite subjects of transitive verbs. Yeah, I should. I want to emphasize that's a normal unscripted conversation. I think that's the point that a lot of people in that argument were missing, is that yes, when you are writing, it's people people write these kinds of sentences all the time yeah. with an indefinite subject. Right. But it's not common when you're just talking to people about you know sort of unscripted telling a story. It's unusual for you to to have to have an indefinite in the subject. Usually, you have to introduce it first and then make it definite. Right. You say, as the example I've been given, there was a man I saw yesterday, and he helped me. You know, something like that. Um, and the sensitivity about definiteness versus indefiniteness of subjects um, is interesting, right? So, what Mike's example. Prohibits an indefinite subject even for an intransitive verb, whereas the the effect I was discussing mm-hmm. had to do with a uh, transitive verb had to be uh, definite. And uh, in some languages, this rule is so strong that you are not even permitted to use an overt noun phrase as the subject of a transitive verb. It must be a pronoun. Oh. That's interesting. So, as always, you can find everything in the Pacific Northwest. So, this is some of the Salish languages, like, um, I can't remember the name. It says, uh, anyway, some of the Salish languages, you can never have a transitive verb with a noun phrase, an overt noun phrase as the subject. Okay. So, you, you, you would, you would have to say stuff like, uh, there was a man, he helped he me. He crossed the street. Yeah, he helped me. Or he helped me. Right. The, okay. in, in those languages, the restriction is on the subject of transitive verbs. That's, that's really an interesting, uh, restriction. The, the, just the idea that, um, for some reason, languages can be so incredibly allergic to having something that's not in the discourse already as a subject. Well, um, as you said, it occurs so rarely. In natural mm-hmm. discourse, in mm-hmm. in languages that permit it, it's still two to five percent of sentences mm-hmm. um, spoken. It, spoken, you know, non-scripted, non-television. So it's pretty unusual to start with, and then that unusualness becomes turns into a rule somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now I kind of want to say, like, I'm guessing that. Uh, Sort of pronouns would be just by default considered definite, yes. just because they're referring to something you already know about. Um, proper nouns, I think you would generally assume to be definite, although they often can't take articles. Um, I'm um, specifically thinking about people's names. At least in English, they can't take articles at all. A person's name can't. Right. Uh, in Spanish, the title a person has can does require an article, at least the way I was taught, uh, in the subject position, you have to say, el señor Martín. Um, but I don't think just a proper name by itself can take it. Right. Um, what was I going to say? There's something, 
there, there's weirdness in the Hungarian situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget what happens if you have overt non third person pronouns. I think there's some weirdness there, but maybe we should get too hung up. I'm sure um, some of the, the patterns, as always, you get a grammar pattern and then it becomes routinized and then it sort of starts to leak out and take over, take over new meanings. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we've kind of defined what the basics are of, uh, of definiteness. And then there's a whole lot of wiggle room you have to, to, um, to deal with where, where, where you end up going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention with, um, it was in a note when we were talking about the, how sometimes, uh, articles kind of can cause sound changes. Um, I know I posted a link to the Irish Gaelic Wikipedia. Um, mm-hmm. after the definite article, well, after certain proclitics, there are, there is initial, uh, lenition. And especially the, um, in the nominative singular, like the woman for feminine, mm-hmm. for feminine nouns, um, you have a lenition of that initial consonant. But uh, in, for masculines, you don't. So it's an interesting kind of uh, lenition process mm-hmm. there that has to do with um, the both the case and the gender of whatever the object or the um, you know yeah. the thing. And there has to be a historical explanation. Yeah, yeah. The, I have this hilarious textbook of Old Irish. So mm-hmm. a grand old man of Indo-European languages once said about Old Irish that it's like mowing the lawn. It's something you have to do periodically. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so terrifyingly difficult and hard. Um, the, the, the textbook is called Shango, though. Um, and it's hilarious because there are little drawings of cartoon sheep doing improbable things in Old Irish. Um, but one of the, the good points of that book, as opposed to some of the old uh, manuals, is that it gives you reconstructions of likely protoforms mm-hmm. so that you can see, oh, look. This word used to end in a nasal, therefore various kinds of sound changes happen. This word used to end in a vowel, and therefore other kinds of sound changes happen when words follow it. So um, most yeah. of this historical process for lenition is pretty well understood, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting because also there are it can be helpful that the um, definite article has that lenition because I think there's a preposition that looks the same as the article, but it won't cause that lenition. So if you have, mm-hmm. they have on there, for example, on van, the woman, versus on ban, that's two different things because one causes lenition and the other one will not. So you can kind of tell which one's which a little bit there. I think all of the modern uh, Celtic languages, both Brythonic and Gaelic, have mm-hmm. confusing possessive mm-hmm. forms like his, her, my, mm-hmm. your, that are easily confused for other words, but depend entirely on some sort of following mutation to distinguish them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, that's, a, that's sort of, uh, seems like a very Celtic thing just to have all those mutations, mm-hmm. um, occurring on the actual word. I think it's probably more common to have these, these odd phonological reductions or rules that occur on the article itself. Uh, English, the gets just reduced and beaten up all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have, we have the the wonderful uh, a and an split, which um, presumably comes from the fact that it was originally on, and somehow the n gets dropped half when when there's a consonant there. Well, we um, can look forward to a day when the Celtic languages lose the article entirely and only lin it. <laughs> yeah, and then it can be, be like some of these Bantu languages that only have tone changes. Left. Yeah, that that would that that's 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 uh, quite an interesting thing uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to uh, think about. You just need to churn through another few centuries, and it'll all be good. (laughs) So, do you think um, other articles will rise to the occasion, or I don't know. They might be uh, right. There's so many kinds of initial constant mutation. That you're always going to have some words that would be left without any marking at all, right? That they wouldn't change between of, definite and indefinite, and that might put pressure on for the recreation of some new system. But I don't know. Who knows? I I, I kind of wonder about if this this Chinese tendency to use the the measure word or numeral classifier, whatever you just the classifier as like an indefinite article, 
if that could get carried into the future and turn into like a really weird degenerated uh degenerate um gender system sure it's, it's only occurs on the indefinite article the agreement does right and and <laughs> i should say i think i'm remembering this correctly that it's pretty common for these um measure words as we like to call them in the chinese biz uh in other languages of the region to be hijacked and turn into either definite or indefinite articles. Yeah. Mm. So it could happen. Yeah. Mm. And then you have to remember maybe, maybe the number of the classifiers would end up getting reduced in that scenario. It's hard to tell. Right. Right. Or you'll get a Bantu like, you know, eight genders here and seven over here and 12 over there. Yeah. (laughs) Will be an exciting time for, for linguists. And then, and then it goes even more Bantu-like, and they start um, putting them before verbs and stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all you Bogo Langers out there, we've got we're giving you all these ideas for free. Another service provided by the Conlangery Podcast. <laughs> yes, for your your future Chinese, think about this idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I don't know. Do we have any sort of other? things to say about this topic. I know we're kind of, we're trying to get this um, show done as quickly as possible mm. for reasons. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, that's the first time I've heard that particular bit of internet slang, namely because reasons <laughs> used verbally, but okay. I said for reasons, I didn't say because it's reasons. It's the same yeah. syntax. Anyway, <laughs> are we ready for feedback? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So this is from Patrick Garza. Um, oh, we had, I guess we had uh, mentioned this. He says, I do, in fact, listen to the entirety of every, every episode, although I do admit I listen at one and a half speed because I actually have no time to listen in the first place. Oh, God. That um, takes a, I want to know what program you're using because iTunes does not do double speed anymore. Well, I was just thinking I'm, I, I speak quickly normally at one and a half speed. I'm surprised he even follows things. You know, Luckily, I don't you know, say too I much. Actually, <laughs> it's, you, you are, um, I often, li- um, when I'm, uh, re- editing, I usually do it at one and a half speed or up to, um, or even up to like 1.7 speed. Mm. And yeah. You're hard to understand at that rate, but only because Audacity doesn't correct um, pitches. Oh. So your voice becomes very, very hot. <laughs> oh, I thought I noticed that once. I'm like, wow, do I really sound like that? <laughs> so I've been trying to, <clears throat> I've been trying to talk in a little bit more <laughs> normal pitch. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's actually, uh, I think I was listening to the Lexicon Valley podcast recently, and they talked about just what sort of word rate a human can process language at, and it's surprisingly fast. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I, I imagine it takes more concentration, but if you can listen at one and a half speed, good for you. Okay, anyway, so that's just the first sentence. He has more. He says, uh, and I'd like to thank you all f- so much for the, your podcast. Without it, I'd have been bald because I'd, because I attempted to learn my sync line. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming he means he'd be pulling his hair out. Yeah. You, your podcast has helped me figure out how to reel in my craziness while still keeping the features I love. And you do it with humor and intelligence. You are, you'll, y'all are epically amazing. Uh, he, he capitalized just the EPIC of epically. Uh, awesome, helpful. Insert other applicable adjectives here. People, Patrick, uh, Garza from Southwestern University, sent from my iPod. So the the prescriptivist in me would like to give two points <laughs> to Patrick for spelling the correct version of real for that idiom. Nice. <laughs> so thank you, Patrick. We're, we're glad we're helpful. Oh, okay. Yeah, he he's R-E-E-L. Yes, mm-hmm. which is what he's supposed to do. Does somebody do who who spells that as R E A L? I have seen it spelled many interesting ways. Yeah, yeah, don't challenge people on that. I guess I don't know. I guess I'm I don't like fishing, but I'm familiar enough for with fishing to know the difference. But mm-hmm. huh. 
Any train? Anyway. <laughs> so, that, there's not much to say about that. I like, I like when we get, uh, these, these emails full of just praise. We probably shouldn't. <laughs> just praise. The, just bask in it. <laughs> the, 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 we probably shouldn't, uh, we, we should probably focus on doing the, the ones that have questions, but, uh, we have a few of those. Those will be in, in future episodes. This is nice. So anyway, uh, I'm going to go to William now, and William, what are your final words of wisdom? I am desolated to report that for my return engagement, I have not thought up any words of wisdom, so I will just pass on wisdom, and I will try to be better next time. Okay. And Mike? Um, words of wisdom. Hmm. Uh, By the way, you guys are not hearing that train, are you? We are. Yes. That's why I said train earlier. (laughs) But, um, now I hear nothing, but you might be muted, so, uh, words of wisdom from me. Um, unless you guys can't hear me, but words of wisdom. I can hear you. Sweet. Um, awesome. Um, yeah, so words of wisdom, just, uh, learn different things, don't be afraid to try new things, um, and, uh, worst case scenario, you find out, oh, this is a little confusing, or best case scenario, ooh, this is awesome, let's find a language that actually has it, or you're the only one, which is very unlikely, but even still, if you find something awesome and it works for you, by all means, go forth and enjoy. Alright, and I'm gonna say, happy conlanging, with a spooky train behind you. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. Wait a minute. What? Okay. Call burner is not working at all, which is one thing that I used to record with. This piece. I use Audacity 2, but Audacity is only picking up me. This PC is having difficulty recording the call due to either A, too many applications running, or B, insufficient. Okay, I'll close some applications. Say something. Hello? Hello. Uh, welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about Conlangers, for Conlangers, Conlangs. Okay, <laughs> so it's picking up you on Audacity now uh, to the point where it has actually not recorded a single second. It's just counting up how many seconds it's behind. Jeez. So it's like lagging? Nice. Hmm. George is puzzled. Yes, I hear. Hmm. Puzzled is puzzled. I don't. I, I'm just trying to figure out why I'm using 2.4 gigabytes of memory. I love this. I put out the call that I need um, need greetings, and I get like two. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, I guess it's a lot louder when I have my headphones off. Um, let me see. I could turn down the heat and hope it doesn't get cold too quickly. I'll throw on a blanket if we need, if I need to. That's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm. You're sacrificing heat for Conlanger. Dedication. I'll be right back. Hang on. Have Everyone fun. pee before their show, just like travel. <laughs>